Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Galatians 1, verse 6. And this is Paul speaking to the Galatian church. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is not just another account, but there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Do you hear that? Or some of your versions say pervert. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and now I say to you again, if anyone preaches another gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For now, do I persuade men or God? Do I speak to please men? If I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now, Lord. And uh, we pray that you minister to this church, Lord God. Lord, that you speak to us, instruct us, Lord, and uh, speak clearly uh, to our body, Lord God, this church. And um, Lord, I just pray that everybody has ears to hear your word, Lord. And I pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I've got one page here that my printer didn't print right. So uh, it's uh, sketchy and I was having a hard time reading that. Uh, go to Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Paul's talking about another gospel there. In Second Corinthians chapter 1, or chapter 11, verse 3, it says, But I fear... What's Paul fear? Lest by any means, like the serpent beguiled or fooled Eve through his subtlety, that your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that comes to you preaches, what? Another Jesus, whom we have not preached. Or if you receive another, what? Spirit, which we have not received. Or another gospel, which we have not accepted, you might bear with them. So Paul is really concerned that they might uh, hear another gospel, another Christ, another spirit, uh, something that he hadn't preached, something that he didn't intend, and he was afraid. In fact, it said he feared that it would be destructive to them. And so the title of my message today is called The Real Thing. Because Paul is worried that they would receive the gospel in a form that is different than what he presented. And what Paul presented, he said, was not of himself. He said, if it were of myself, I would be accursed. He said, the gospel that I present 
comes directly from Jesus Christ. That's why he's called an apostle of Jesus Christ. In fact, the apostles were sent by Christ to deliver a message, not of their self, but they had to lay the foundation of a message that was sent directly by Christ. And if we don't follow in the teachings of Christ that he delivered through the apostles and they're in this word and it's unchangeable, then we have a different gospel. We have a different message. We have a different spirit. And Paul said, let him be accursed. And for those who aren't scholars of Greek, that means let him be damned, condemned. Let him be eternally cast out. We don't want to follow a different gospel. We want to follow the gospel that was delivered. And so this is some pretty heavy stuff here as far as receiving the real thing. Now, how many people have ever received something that you thought was the real thing and it ended up being a knockoff of the original? Okay, how many have ever drank root beer? That's not A&W root beer, right? There's something in root beer uh, called acacia wood. And you'll see it in real root beer. It's the root of that acacia tree. And so that's one of the soft drinks that's really hard to imitate is, is root beer. And you'll taste it. It doesn't have that sweet root that you're used to tasting in root beer, right? How many have ever done that? You think, wow, this is pretty good. It's a uh, called a doctor or whatever they call it or, you know, something like root beer. And so it's a knockoff. Now, let's say that you think it's the real thing. And then you drank one of those and you drank a couple of them. Maybe you, 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 some of you, maybe you finish off a whole case of those root beers, right? And you say, you know what? They're not that great. You know, I've tried them and they just... Um, not that sweet, they, they don't taste that good, and, but you think it's the real thing. So what is your testimony about that product? It's not that good. But if somewhere down the road you would drink the real thing, you'd say, wow, that's really good. I regret that I had the wrong one all these years. Because for 20 years I've been telling people it's not that good, but it's actually delicious. Right? How many have ever been disappointed by something that wasn't the real thing? And so I was looking through things that are counterfeited in our society and looked at the top five or ten things that are counterfeited the most often and uh, wrote a few of them down. Um, one thing that's counterfeited really often, fashion accessories. How do you feel when you, and, and I don't, I'm not even going to show my knowledge of handbags here because I have no idea, but I read, okay? And you're, you're thinking I may at least know European male handbags. No, I really don't. But how many have ever paid a lot of money for a fashion accessory and you thought, man, I got the real thing. And then they've got these telltale signs. It's not the real thing. You know, the stitching's not as good. The quality is not as good. They're trying to make money off of the real thing. But because of the fact that it's a imitation and usually comes from a certain Asian country. Correct? Am I right? Okay. I don't want YouTube to cancel me if I speak out against China. 
Is that how you say it? <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> but the quality is not as good. In fact, you're setting yourself up for disappointment if you have a knockoff brand and it's not the real thing. In fact, some of the ways they say you can tell, another one is clothing. You think you have the name brand clothing, but there's all this, I mean, billions of dollars come over our border every year with imitation knockoff products that aren't the real thing. And so one of the ways they say is look at the stitching. So many stitches per square inch indicates that it's high quality or low quality. And how many know stitching is kind of important because the whole thing may unravel on you? The brand on it, uh, the brands are constantly redesigned because uh, the real thing makes it a certain way and puts a little more money into the logo and the brand, and the knockoff doesn't. Um, I'll tell you another thing is electronics. How I many know oh, there are a lot of electronics that are mimicking the real thing? And so what is the problem? Um, the problem with fashion accessories, problem with clothing is they're not going to hold up, they're not durable, they're going to unravel, right? They're going to fall apart when you need it the most, Right? Um, electronics, the problem is performance. You know, that electronics is not going to perform the way you think. How many have ever ordered some electronics and, man, this watch does everything, and it's the real thing. And you get it, and you're like, oh, man, I can't even program it. It just, everything about it is wrong. It's not the real thing. I paid a lot of money for this, too. I feel like an idiot, right? I see a lot of faces here. That's the most conviction I've ever seen on a on a... On a <laughs> on a group of people. Okay, we've all been fooled, right? But here's the thing. What if the gospel were a drink? Okay, and all the benefits the Bible says um, that you will be... Um, Jesus says He heals the brokenhearted. He sets free those who are captive. He uh, delivers those who have been bound. Um, and, and what if there's all these benefits of the gospel... And because you didn't get it in its right form. In fact, I'll tell you another one. Pharmaceuticals is a big counterfeit. What if you had a sickness and you thought you had that active ingredient in it, but the the material they're saving money on is the active ingredient. And so you took that medication thinking it was going to make you well, and you realized that it didn't do anything to help me. Because you had a knockoff product. Well, now imagine the gospel is that way. Imagine you walk into a church and the gospel you receive. Now here's, here it's nefarious, it's wicked, it's evil, scheming people trying to make money. Maybe they're selfish ambition. Maybe they got the wrong motives and Paul's warning against uh, heretical behavior. He's warning against negative teaching, false teaching, false doctrines. And that's serious and that's heavy. But let's just imagine it's not evil. It's not wicked. It's not nefarious. Let's just matter. Let's just say it's watered down. Because that's what they do when they counterfeit sometimes is they want to make money. So they water the product down. They thin it out. They don't put all the ingredients in it. Uh, perfume is one thing we talked about the other night. Perfume and, and uh, cologne, there's a very expensive ingredient. And at one time, it was the most valuable uh, substance on earth, ambergris, uh, gray amber they call it. And if you don't have that in the perfume or cologne, 
it lasts about 10 seconds, okay? You spray it on, you walk out the door, I don't smell it anymore. All right? Not, not 10 minutes, but you know what I'm saying. You've had cologne that didn't last very long or perfume, right? And you said, man, it's supposed to be polo, but it don't last more than five minutes, right? But if it's the real thing, they're withholding that ingredient because it's the most expensive part of the concoction, okay? And so if that ingredient is in there, it will last. I mean, you'll pick that shirt up a week later and you'll still smell the perfume or cologne on it. How many know what I'm talking about? Now, what if the gospel that we present as a church is the gospel? And what if that gospel is effective to saving souls? But what if we don't have the full product? Innocently. Like not even because we didn't try to or there was something wicked or there was something evil. What if it was just incomplete? What if we didn't follow through when somebody said, I want to give my heart to the Lord? What if we just didn't follow through with that? I'm not saying that we do that. But I'm just saying, what if? As a church, we're not prepared when somebody gives their heart to the Lord and say, here's the very next step then you have a gospel that doesn't have everything in it. It's not being effectual the way God wants it to be effectual. What if we're not leading people through a lifestyle? In fact, think about that handbag that won't hold up because it's not the genuine article. What if you go through persecution... What if you go through hard times? And I'm not saying, don't get upset and walk out on me that Christians are going to go through a hard time. Or they're going to go through persecution. Or that they're going to doubt their faith at some point. Or they're going to go through marital problems. Or they're going to have a kid that goes wayward. Or something bad is going to happen. But what if the gospel that is being preached doesn't prepare you for that? then it's not the gospel that Paul preached. And it's not complete. What if we're not walking people through the ability to understand the Bible? The ability to understand how the book is put together. Understand what God expects of us as followers of Christ. What God expects in our life. What if we're, and again, we probably have it all together, but I'm just saying, what if? All right. Don't you love it that I got a little bit of uh, sarcasm? Makes it a little gentler, doesn't it? (laughs) But what if me as a pastor, I make it easier, blame it on me, because I'm a big part of it, and I'm being honest. What if we don't have the steps prepared for a person to understand the Bible and learn baby steps on here's how I read the Bible, here's what the Bible has an expectation for my life, And what if you get that information and you don't walk in it? That you just take that message and it never changes your life. You're a saint on Sunday and a heathen every other day. You say, well, that doesn't matter as long as Chad's preaching it hard. We got a good gospel because he preaches it hard and I'm inviting my friends to hear him. But here's the problem. They're drinking in you all week. 
the form of the gospel that they're getting is you, not me. You say, but you preach it right, brother. You preach it good, but you're preaching it the rest of the week. And so what if it's not an evil, false prophet, false apostle, false teacher? What if the product that we're giving them isn't the real thing? Then the same thing is going to happen with the gospel that happens with these products. They're going to say the gospel isn't that great. They're going to say the gospel isn't that effective. The gospel didn't take care of my pain like the prescription didn't. The gospel didn't hold together when I went through problems in my life. The gospel didn't help when I ministered it to my children. And if you don't have this gospel, the real gospel, the real thing, if you have the real thing, then you got no problems. Because the Bible says the real thing does this, 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 and this. And if you've got it, it's going to happen. But what if you don't have it? But what if they think you have it? What if you're like a Pharisee and you think you've got it and you think you've arrived, but then you don't even realize that I don't have the genuine real thing? then how effective is the gospel? And what have we done to the gospel? What have we done to the gospel? And one of the things we think of when we think of counterfeiting, and I want you to kind of get away from the idea that this is the evil person who is preaching the false gospel, the false teaching, the false prophecies. But let's start thinking about how we represent Christ as a church and as people. One of the ways that we think of counterfeits really often is money. And what a lot of people don't realize is um, one of the great weapons of mass destruction, one of the great weapons of war is counterfeiting. How many know that? The federal government has to monitor counterfeiting because counterfeiting is a way to bring down a nation. What they do is they flood that nation with false currency. And when that false currency gets flooded into that nation, foreign nations do this to bring other nations down. In fact, uh, in January of 1776 is the first recorded weapon of war with currency. You know, the British flooded the colonies with false currency because the, the um, continental um, republic, the, the continental government that they'd set up were issuing their own banknotes. And so the British flooded uh, that uh, struggling little uh, continental government. They flooded them with currency. And what it does is it makes the currency worthless it causes inflation to rise, and by the time they're done, that currency of that government is worth almost less than the paper it's printed on. And so in January of 1776, that's how they made war, and they say that that was almost more effective than any army that ever came in and fought. In fact, during the Civil War, we see the same thing. 
Do you know that the North flooded the South with false currency? There was a certain man that printed about $15 million worth of Southern Confederacy currency, and they spread it all through the South because they were trying to take down the Southern economy. And, and, and they were, and he bragged to everybody that he was more effective at defeating the South than even the armies of McClellan. In fact, you go through, uh, the time of Nazi Germany. How many know that Nazi Germany flooded Britain with false currency and it was so realistic and so real and looked so much like the British currency that when the war ended, they had to actually redo their currency because it was so effective and almost brought down the economy of the British government. In fact, this is going to shock you, but in the 80s, how many know that we, in agreement with several other nations, tried to bring down the Afghan government by printing currency that looked just like theirs and inflating their economy and tried to destroy that nation? Here's what happens. It's such an effective weapon of war because you lose confidence in your currency. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is the enemy sometimes is more effective if he gives a counterfeit than almost anything he can possibly do in the church. It's almost the most destructive thing that the enemy can do to the church is to produce counterfeits in the church. And why is that the case? Because if he can produce counterfeits, he'll lessen the confidence that we have in the product. If he can send out mom and dad not being the real thing, how can I reach them? How can I reach a teenager when they think the real thing is not the real thing? How can I reach them? Because they've tasted and seen, and they're saying it's not good. They've tasted the product that's not the real gospel. And they said, man, I don't know. And so we've got to figure out what is this gospel and how can we have the real thing? In fact, uh, since it's 4th of July, and this isn't a 4th of July message, 1776, I want you to think about this. 56 men gathered to sign what we call the Declaration of Independence. Okay? And of those men, 4,435 died. 4,435 soldiers died, and another 6,188 uh, were wounded. Okay? Why? Because they believed in freedom. They believed in freedom from the British government, right? So we live for Christ, right? Christ and this gospel that we preach. So what is the gospel that we preach? And I'll let Jesus Christ tell you what this gospel is. In Luke 4.18, he had already been baptized. Um, he had already been tempted in the wilderness. And he comes back and he enters into the synagogue. And he begins to start his ministry, right? 
And listen to this scene. This is an interesting scene. Jesus Christ stands up in the synagogue. In fact, they would regularly have a person come up and read the scripture for that day. And it just happened that day, it, it was turned to Isaiah, and Jesus stands up, opens it in the presence of everybody in the synagogue, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. There's that gospel word. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Do you hear what the gospel is? Jesus proclaimed what the gospel is. The gospel is to preach to the poor, those who don't have it, those who don't know what it is, those who don't have what Jesus Christ is preaching, and that's healing of the brokenhearted. How many of you know people that are brokenhearted? And I'm telling you right now, if we've got the gospel, they're going to drink it in and God is going to heal broken hearts. God is going to set free those who are captive. God is going to give sight to those who don't even see God, don't know God. And church, if that's not the gospel that we're preaching, then we're giving them something that's not the real thing. And Jesus said that he did it for freedom. He did it for liberty. He did it so he could say, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. The kingdom of God is here. It's here now. The gospel is to proclaim that there is a kingdom. There is freedom We don't have to live under the oppression of sin anymore. And how can they see that gospel if you're still living in in bondage? If we're not demonstrating the gospel in our life, how can we preach it? How can we show it? How can we lead the way if we're still bound by the same things? We're a walking, living demonstration of the gospel. And church, it's time for the world to drink it in. And so I'm going to address where we get the gospel wrong. Because sometimes the gospel is just offensive. We don't have it wrong. It's just offensive. Sometimes it's just hard to digest. Sometimes it's not desirable. And they don't want it. But we got to make sure it's a real thing. So let's look, what is the gospel? I think Romans does a really good job of explaining what the gospel is. Paul is trying to give a good definition of what the gospel is. And church, if it's not that gospel that he's preaching directly from Jesus Christ, he was trained for three years under the tutelage of Jesus Christ. So he went away and for three years, Jesus himself instructed him in the word of God. And that's the gospel that he preached, not of his own. In fact, trust me, had Paul done it on his own in that three-year period, it would have been a totally different gospel. I know that for sure. But God instructed him on what the gospel was. And number one, it says, and this is chapter 1, verse 29 and 30, it says, man... 
was filled with evil, covetedness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. That's not the good news yet. say, wow, that's good news. But see, here's the problem. Good news isn't good news until you hear the bad news. And see, this is not what they're preaching in a lot of places. They're preaching a different gospel. The truth is, we're not good. We're not good. Let me say it again. We're not good. I'm not good. Everybody say amen. I'm not good. You're not good. We're not good. As a whole, we're not good. We're a rotten fruit and a rotten basket and there's none good. No, not one. Not a single one of us are good. Then why is it distorted all over America? Why are we walking around like we did something great? God did something great. God did it all. God loved us. Our value is in the fact that God loved us. God did something incredible. Romans 2.2, the news is getting worse. Alright, it says, The judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. Then verse 8 says, For those who obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. He said, man, I don't hear that very often. Where are you getting this at? Is that in my Bible? Yeah, that's in your Bible. See, this is the gospel. The gospel is there isn't one that's good. In fact, Romans 3.10 says, none is righteous, not one. You say, well, wait a minute. Paul didn't know me. He, He didn't know me. Romans 3.20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But see, we think we're good, because I got saved, and I do all these good things, and I'm a good moral person, and I'm better than the next person, and we've got the world separated in good people and bad people, and because I'm one of the better people, I'm one of two ways. Either I'm better than those sinners, or I'm not good enough to be what God wants me to be. And here's the truth. We're all bad, every one of us. We're all bad, every one of us. And you say, man, I just can't. And we're trying to go to church, and we're trying to preach a gospel that God will make you a better person, and then one day you're going to be so good that He's going to say, you've done it. Good job. And sometimes we boast in that. Boy, look how good I am. I'm good enough. Finally made it. Or you you vacillate between the two. Sometimes I'm good enough. Sometimes I'm not good enough. And can I tell you something? You're listening to a different gospel. You're listening to a different gospel because you're not going to arrive. You're not going to get there. You stand condemned, every single one of us, sinners before an angry God. And, and I know, I know C.S. Lewis said that there's a lock on the inside of hell and only people send themselves to hell. But if you read your Bible, God is sending people to hell. 
God wishes that none would perish. God's hope is that none would perish. God gives an offer of salvation and He gave everything He possibly could for you not to go there. But He is the one sending. We didn't just walk in and lock it from the inside like like C.S. Lewis said. He is the sender. But He's also the one that is offering hope to us. You say, man, this is bad news. This is terrible news. This is awful. Why would you preach this, Chad? Because this is your foundation. And if you don't have this foundation, you're listening to a different gospel. A different gospel. So it goes on. Now it gets sweet. Now I hope you can accept what I'm saying because it's a foundation of everything we do. That we're not able within ourselves. And what you have to realize is because the Bible doesn't make any sense unless we're sinners. It doesn't make any sense. The need for a Savior makes no sense. Because here's what it will turn into. There's this guy that's going to make my life happy. There's this guy that's going to make life better. There's this one that's going to make my life charming. There's this one that's going to make me a little better than I am. You know, he's going to make me a better version of myself. And that's not a good foundation. There's a Savior who has saved us from damnation. There's a Savior that has saved every one of us. He's paid the price so we don't have to be condemned. That's a Savior. Now how can I have a Savior if I don't understand first I'm a sinner? If the gospel that I've heard was there's good people and there's bad people, there's a God that will make you a better version of yourself, that's no gospel at all. But now he says in Romans, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law. Although the law law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of the divine patience He passed over our former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and that He might be the justifier and the one who, uh, of the one who has faith in Jesus. So where do I get credit there? Jesus Christ was so great and was so wonderful and so awesome and so amazing and so incredible that through Him I can be justified just as if I had never sinned. And He is the justifier alone. There's no other way for me to be saved. There's no action 
that I can take to have the righteousness of God. It's through the love of Jesus Christ, and that's who we're serving. So let me go on. Here's some terms that we need to know. Salvation. The simple gospel here. Salvation means to be delivered from harm, ruin, or loss. If you're saved, something dangerous is there. Okay, if he's saving me to make me a better version of myself, which don't get me wrong, he does. He makes you the most that you can possibly be on this earth is to let Jesus Christ shine through you. But make no mistake about it, salvation is from an experience that is going to be great, great, great harm. A very dangerous situation, and that's condemnation forever from the presence of God. That's what He's saving me from. Faith means to believe and have complete trust. You say, man, that's so simple. But here's the problem. What if the gospel, the concoction that I'm told to drink, is come up here and repeat a prayer after me, and that'll do it. And man, you know, that day I was crying crocodile tears. I was so emotional that day, I'll never forget. And I walked up to the front and and I said the prayer after him. I repeated after him. And that's great. I love a sinner's prayer. But what if I drank that down and walked away? Is it possible that maybe I didn't get the real thing? Is it possible that there were more steps after that moment that I was supposed to take according to the Bible? Yes. You know it and I know it. You say, well, just believe. That's what the Bible says. In fact, it says, my notes here. Acts 16, 31, And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved in your whole house. Then James 2 says, You believe in God? You do well. The devils believe and they tremble. So let's take the Bible here. Yes, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. A constant word, pisteo, mean walk in that. Believe, trust Him with everything in your life and begin to walk in Him. But remember that demons believe and tremble. I've seen people at the altar that didn't even tremble. The demons at least tremble and know that He's Lord and suddenly have a booming voice. That's kind of creepy. Somebody fix that? So here's five ways. In fact, let me go through a few more words before I go through the five ways. Grace. We talk about grace a lot. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When I walk into a worship service, Now let's remember what our roots are. We're following people like Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament in a prison cell, suffering for the cause of Christ, knowing that that gospel, he said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. 
It's the power of God that saves for salvation, he said. So he was willing to suffer to the max. And, and remember, he's sitting in a prison cell with open wounds all over his body from beatings. And he's singing hymns. He's worshiping God, praising God, loving God. Church, Peter wrote his books right before he and his wife had their he- or were hung. Paul had his head chopped off. All of the disciples of Christ were martyred except for John. And the only reason he wasn't because he survived boiling wax. So you tell me the gospel that I'm preaching. It's not just to make yourself a better version of you. It's something that's made to hold up through persecution, through hard times, through people calling you names, for your family leaving you, from the whole world of being against you. It's a gospel that's so strong, it'll go through anything the enemy throws at you. And if you get any other gospel, you got the wrong one. You said, no, it's just a prayer that I prayed and I haven't been to church since. I've never been involved in church. I'd never go to church, but I said the prayer. Church, the gospel, the real thing is different. And that's what we got to preach. That's what we got to show. That's what we got to live. Grace means free and unmerited favor. God gave me favor and I didn't deserve it. I never deserved it. I never will deserve it. No matter what I do, I don't deserve it. If you put me, uh, the law of God in front of me and put me before the throne of God, I still don't deserve it. And you don't either. So what does that mean? The grace of God says, come into my presence and lift up holy hands. There's no blood on my hands anymore. There's no guilt on my hands anymore. There's no guilt in my conscience anymore. Why? Because I am a sinner saved by grace. So now I can live in freedom. The war is over. The battle is done. He paid the price. My sins are nailed to a cross. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It's not sweet because you don't know you're a sinner. If you know you're a sinner and you walk through those doors and you understand unmerited favor and He did something for you that you didn't deserve and you'll never deserve, you'll throw those hands up and you'll say, God, thank you so much. I don't deserve it, but here are my hands. Here are my hands. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Somebody says, well, why should I worship Him? Why should I lift my hands up? I've never lifted my hands up. It's stupid. Why should I give up? Why should I love Him? Why should I praise Him? Why not? He loves you. He died for your sins. He gave everything for you. He has a free offer, a free gift. Amazing grace. I walk in and I'm not questioning to myself, am I good enough? Can I answer that question? No, you're not. Okay, let's get the question out of the way. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. That's why it's called grace. I don't deserve it. I didn't do anything for it. But he loved me anyway, even when I spit in his face, even when I shook my fist at him, even when I said that I didn't want anything to do with God, he still had an open offer and loved you. And so when I walk into church, I'm not questioning if I'm good enough. The question's been answered. I'm not. But thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I can raise my hands because you died for my sins. I can be obedient. I'm not sitting here thinking about 
all the failures that I have. I'm saying, let me be obedient to the max. And guess what? I'm still going to fail. But I'm still going to be obedient to the max because I love him. And because he loved me. And because I want to be just like him. And I know I'm not like him yet. Hallelujah. We got to know these things. And if you're walking in here and you're still saying, am I good enough? Or let me give you another one. I'm better than those other people. Remember the Pharisee? Look at that poor tax collector. And Lord, thank you that I'm not like him. Now, do you see how different of a gospel that is, how messed up that is? He doesn't understand the gospel. Because if he understood the gospel, he would realize that he's not any better than the other guy that was sitting there. The difference is him, not me. You say, but I'm so much different. I'm the modern-day version of John Wesley. I I call it the John Wesley complex or the uh, Martin Luther complex. You always have this young reformer that uh, they're angry at the whole Christian world because they're better than everybody else. They're reforming the whole world. Well, let's start reforming right here and realize that I'm a sinner saved by grace. Let's start right there if we want to reform the world. Let's reform this guy right here. Hallelujah. Justified means declared righteous by God even though I am unrighteous. Wait a minute. Read that again. Did you say that I'm unrighteous but I've been declared righteous? That's the good news. The good news is because I've accepted His atonement. He is declaring me righteous even though I'm unrighteous. My own efforts are unrighteous, but He's declaring me righteous only because I'm in Christ. (laughs) That's good news. You say it's not that good news because you're not standing on death row about to be sentenced to death on an electric chair. This is the picture the Bible's giving here. And because we don't know the gospel sometimes, we don't know that. Can you imagine standing there, ready to pay the price, and you say, well, an innocent man's going to get killed here. You're not innocent. You know how many people I've hurt? You have any idea how many people I have hurt? You know how many people I've shattered them? You know how many people that I have sinned against? And you're looking at me and you're saying, man, you're right, you're terrible. But see, we've got to let God say, you are too. And see, what we want to do is we want to think we're so great. And what God is saying is, no, if I listed off all of your failures and your weaknesses and your sins, they would be so heavy upon you. And if you walked into my presence, here's what happens. Every time we see God's presence in the Bible, what happens? Woe is me. Woe is me. You know what woe is me means? I'm in big trouble. I'm about to be judged and you sense the wrath of God is about to come upon you. And the Bible says in Hebrews that our whole life we've worried about dying. And it says that Jesus takes away that fear of death. 
And when I gave my life to Jesus, I just simply said, I'm going to hold your hand and I won't let go. I'm going to serve you the rest of my life because of what you did for me. And he takes away the fear of death. I'm not afraid to die. In fact, I almost died one time and I wasn't afraid. I was about to drown in the ocean. I was going down for the last time. I could not breathe. I bounced off the bottom several times. I can't swim. I was about to go down for the last time. And the peace of God was upon me. And I was about to die. And my sister threw me a pink dragon with a rope on it. A floaty. (laughs) And I grabbed it. And she pulled me in. But there was no fear of dying. Why? The woe is me is gone. Because He died for my sins. He gave everything... God was beaten and destroyed and mutilated because He said in the beginning He would do it. Sinners punished Him and killed Him and mutilated Him so I wouldn't have to have the sentence of death over me anymore. And if you'll accept it, you say, it's too simple. No, it's not. Very deep. It means I'm going to give my life to you in service now because of what you did for me. And guess what? Fear of death is not only gone, I can't wait for it. I want to be here to minister to the people that I love as long as I can possibly minister. But the moment I die, if that's tomorrow and I close my eyes, it says absent from my body is present with Christ. I'm going to open my eyes in the presence of God. No tears, no crying, no sickness, no death, no cemeteries, no hospitals, no troubles, no work. Hallelujah. Amen. Because of Him. And you say, well, man, I, I'm so excited for the things God gives me. I love His blessings. I love heaven. I love all these things. Be careful. Be careful. Because you can love all the things He gives you and not love Him. You can say, man, I can't wait for heaven. I love the blessing that God has in my life. And then just like, well, how about Him? He's okay. Mm-mm. I love him. Every time I walk into the house, I know what kind of sinner I am, and that's why I love him so much. That's why he's so amazing. That's why his love is so great. That's why he's so awesome. That's why I'll go to the ends of the earth because I love him. That's why I'll, I'll live my last moments every day, worn out, tired, weary, persecuted, hated, not loved. All those things because I love him. The one that saved me. The one that's the father to the fatherless. The one who died for me. And church, we can't separate that from wanting to go to heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. Redemption. That means the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for a payment or clearing of a debt. We've been bought with a price, and the price was the blood of God. We know that's the gospel. I was bought with a price. And if you have dedicated your life to serving Christ, you were bought with a price. It wasn't cheap. It cost the blood of God to purchase you. Hallelujah. That's the real thing.
Righteous means right standing with God. It's not based on what I do, but based on what He did. You know, there's a difference. Religion says, I will do enough to earn His love and be accepted. I, 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 I. But see, it doesn't start like that. That's religion. People will... In fact, here's so committed you are to I. I messed up. I can't worship. I didn't do well. I don't feel loved by God. I don't feel like He can use me. I don't feel like I'm equipped. I... I, 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 prayer, God, I, I need this, I need that. I'm not happy, I'm sad, I'm not this, I'm not that. God cares about you, don't get me wrong. But I care about Him. I care about His gospel. I care about giving something back to Him because He's given me so much. My prayers can't all be about my comfort and my happiness and my this and my that and my this. How about giving something back for Him? Because He gave everything for you. There's no reason why the Bible says that a worm like Jacob, why would God even love him? Why would God even love me? But we think the whole world centers around me. And that's not the gospel that I read about. Jesus Christ came to give everything for us. How about we give everything for Him? Well, I don't know. If God doesn't bless me, if God doesn't do this, if God doesn't do that. And see, that's the problem. The gospel that we have received is more about us and less about Him. When Paul said, less of me, more of Him. But you sorry I preached that in an American pulpit. I'm all right here, right? Nobody's mad at me. Good. I'm glad. So five ways that it should affect our life. Number one, the Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. One way it should affect our life is we should be very, very, very humble. There should be no room for pride in our church, and in our life. If we really understand the true gospel, there shouldn't be pride. There should be, God, let me be used by you. God, you you really, in fact, he talks about in the Bible about a man who owed a debt, and it was a small debt, and, and um, he was forgiven that debt. Or hold on, it was a very large debt. Very large. In fact, it was so much money, there's no way he could pay it back. And the man forgave him of that debt that he could not pay back. And then his friend came, the one who was forgiven of the debt, and it was a tiny debt. And he said, yeah, I'm not forgiving you of that debt. And he said, how could you do that? When you were forgiven of a debt that you could not pay, how can you not forgive the one who had a tiny debt, you wouldn't forgive him. 
Church, if we realize what God has done for us for all of eternity, how in the world can we live in pride? How can we take our life and just forget about God? How can we not forgive those who have done wrong against us? You say, well, you don't understand how they insulted me. You don't understand what they said to me. You don't understand how they treated me. Well, let me ask you a question. Did they spit on you? Did they rip your beard out? Did they, when some of you women are saying, hey, how'd you notice? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> You'll get that later. But I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> did they punish you like they did him? And let me tell you something. He came to die for us and we punished him. We beat him mercilessly. We abused him terribly. Mangled his body and he still said, forgive them, they know not what they do. He loved in church. We've got to plug into loving like he loved. Hallelujah. So we should be humble. Number one, or number two, we should be, another way is we should be authentic. How many know when you go into, um, you go into the um, antique business? How many have ever seen certificates of authenticity? Certificates of authenticity. That means that I have a certificate and they've looked and they have certified that this is authentic, this thing that I have. And so they've looked at the markings of it and they've looked and said, hey, yeah, it lines up with exactly how the manufacturer made it and exactly the company that made it and all that. How many know that it, that, that if we want to have a certificate of authenticity in our life, we've got to line up with the Word. We've got to line up with the Word of God. We've got to look at that Word and say, man, it's what I'm living, what's in this mirror. It's a mirror. How many know it's a mirror? Is what I'm living, is it what's in this Word? Does that mean, and you say, well, what's that mean? I have to be perfect. No. You missed the Gospel because I've been saying it the whole time. I'm pursuing the image of Christ. I'm pursuing to live like Him. I'm pursuing to um, say, God, what about my life do you want to change today? I look in the mirror every day and say, God, where am I? Ugly, where am I dirty? Where am I? Where do you want to change me today? And how many know being led by the Holy Spirit and being authentic? The difference is I'm perfect and you all know I'm perfect and you know I don't need the word of God and you know I'm doing all right here to move on to the next person. That's not authentic. That's not being led by the Lord. That's not being transformed um, by the Spirit. Hallelujah. I gotta move on. So I could preach all day, but it's Fourth of July, and you have meat thawing out and everything else, you know. So, <laughs> number three, you'll be bold. Paul said, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel." Romans one, the power of God unto salvation. I mean, no, if you know what God saved you from, you'll tell people. If it really is good news, we'll tell people. And they'll drink it in and they'll say, wow, look. Look what God's done in your life. But sometimes they'll drink it in and they'll say, ugh. Yeah, I don't know if I want what you're representing, you know. But if you're humble, if you're humble and authentic, 
Like if you acknowledge that, hey, God is changing me. God's done it all. It's all about Him. But if you walk in and say, it's all about me, 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 and you're trying to go in and, and trying to build your ministry and tell me people how, how many people, how many people you've won to the Lord and how awesome you are and how you're the next John Wesley. And, uh, there was a man that walked into a King Charles Spurgeon used to tell the story. He walked in and, uh, it was a peasant in front of the king and he said, um, he came in the king's presence and he said, Hey, I have a garden, a little small garden. And I tend it, I fertilize it, I take care of it. And and he brought him a prize carrot. And it's beautiful, it's perfect, it's the biggest one I've ever grown. And he bowed his knee and he said, King, it's yours. I want you to enjoy it. How many have ever known a person that had a garden and and they... um they wanted to bring in, they wanted to give you the best of their garden. How many know that? People were like that. And so he gives it to the king, and the king was so touched that a peasant would give him the best. And he said, hey, I want to give you all of this land near my property, and I want you to take care of it. I want you to have it for your own. And so a, a man was in the um, court of the king, a man kind of in the upper class, and he said, well, is that all it takes? Is that the going rate for land from the king? And he said, well, I'm going to try the same thing. And so he went and he brought one of his best horses in, and he said, king, I breed horses, and this is um, one of my best horses. I want you to have it. And the king said, thank you, and he walked away. And it bothered him. He was like, man... Guy gave him a carrot and he gave him all that land and I got nothing. And so he asked to see the king again and he said, why did I not receive anything? He said, because that man gave me a carrot from his heart and you gave me a horse that was for yourself. And can I tell you something? All If all of your service is for people to see you, and know about your ministry, and know about all the things you're doing, and all your prayers to God, or what can I get, what can I get, what can I get, and all of your preaching in the pulpit is, you can get this if you do this, you can get this if you do this for God, that's not the gospel. The gospel is, He died for me, and I'm so appreciative, I give my life to Him. I don't, I'm not looking for things in return. I just love Him so much. I bow down and give him my best. Hallelujah. And boy, I gotta move. Hope. The real thing should have hope. Christ, the hope in Christ is our strength. And people should sense that hope that you have in Christ. We'll move fast. You should be grateful. Now here's what I want to end with. We're gonna have five areas we're gonna focus as a church. Okay, and I'm gonna close with this. Every message should have a challenge. Okay, every message should have a challenge. If you haven't been challenged already with the gospel in your life, every message should have a challenge. On July 11th, on Sunday, between 3 to 7 p.m., we're going to be meeting here from 3 to 7 on Sundays, okay? And we have an opportunity as a church to present the gospel to the world. How many know that? And like I mentioned, the gospel that we present to the world can't just be make a commitment to Christ and then we're done. 
We've got to give them the full gospel, the full presentation of the gospel, the full power of the gospel, the full anointing of the gospel, the full gospel that God wants us to present to the world. And on Sunday, July the 11th, we're going to be meeting every Sunday until we open our church in Evansville. And it's things that we're going to be doing at that church and things that we'll turn right around and do at this church. And you say, well, what are we going to be doing? Five areas I want you to really think about. Number one, the Bible says that the master said to his servant, go to the highways and the back alleys and urge people to come in so that my house may be filled. One area that we need to be faithful with this gospel is, how many know that God has called us to connect with as many people as we can possibly connect with with this gospel? How can you preach to the poor and the oppressed and to the bound unless we go and we connect with those people? Amen? I don't want to be coming in every Sunday and preaching just to us who are saved. I want to go to the highways and the back alleys. In fact, you look that up. It's the cities that have walls and it's the hedgerows in the country. So go all through the country and go through all through the city, find as many as we can find and bring them in so that my house will be full. Church, we're, we are going to sit down and we're going to be very intentional. How much are we connecting with the lost? How much are we connecting with the lost? How many would like to see the house filled? God is calling out right now. I want to fill this house. I want to fill that house. I want to fill both houses with people who have not heard the gospel. People who are oppressed. People who are broken hearted. God wants us to fill the house. Go to the highways. Go to the byways. Go to the back alleys. Go to the country. Go to the city. Go everywhere where they are broken and let's reach them. Church, we've been inside the doors for too long. And you say, well, what happens when they come? We'll just go about our business. We'll just keep doing what we've always done. We'll say hi to them when they come to the door, right? We gotta connect. We gotta be intentional about the time they walk into our parking lot to the time they leave church. We're connecting with those people and we're giving them the next step. How do I connect to this church? How do I connect to this church? And we're gonna answer those questions. Why? Because he's called us to do it. That's the gospel. But here's the thing. Number two, it doesn't do you any good to fill the house with people that are lost and brokenhearted and need healing if the product that you give them isn't the full gospel. If it's not the real thing, then you're wasting your time. So when they get into the church, what is the gospel that we're preaching? What is the thing that we're intentionally trying to give them? In church, we're going to answer that question. We're going to say from the time that they say, I want to give my heart to the Lord, we want to give them the next step. Here's the next step. And then when they get to that step, guess what we're going to do? Here's the next step. Here's the next step. How many understand what I'm saying? You say, well, wait a minute, that's a lot of work. 
This is what we're called to do. Like I said, if we're giving them part of the gospel, it's not the full thing. Even if it's not a counterfeit, even even if it's not complete, it's not the real thing. We've got to bring them in and connect them. We've got to go out and find them. You say it doesn't say, you know, make make sure they come in. You know, just uh, hope that they come in or or yell real loud. Maybe they'll come in. It says go out and get them. Go out and connect with them. Bring them in. When they come in, let's have the message. Let's have the steps. Let's see where we're going. And then number three. We have to disciple them. We have to begin to build them up. So you say, well, how do we do that? We're going to sit down. We're not going to open a church until we sit down and say, here's the discipleships for the next, discipleship steps we want them to take for the next year. For the next year, these are the small groups that we're going to have so they can grow in their knowledge of the Lord. How many know that Paul taught day and night? He taught them the Word day and night. He was instructing them in the Word. How many know this? Come on, church. I need you all with me. Hallelujah. I need you all with me. Hallelujah. Are we going to do this or are we not going to do this? You say, no, you're supposed to preach and we're supposed to go home. (laughs) We're supposed to go to the 4th of July and not have a long service. No, we're workers. We're ready to do this gospel thing because we're committed, right? Hallelujah. So we're going to make those discipleship steps intentional. They're going to see the next step of their growth. What's the next thing we're going to do? We're going to begin to teach them to be obedient through Christ. We're going to teach them about this person. Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm sending somebody to teach you all things. Somebody to teach you obedience to Christ. And you know who that is? The Holy Spirit. We're going to teach them how to get in the presence of God. We're going to teach them about the power of God. We're going to teach them how to worship. We're going to teach them how to love Him because it, it, none of it matters if we don't love Him. Hallelujah. We're going to show them the steps. Here's how you learn. And here's a simple thing. Here's how you learn to raise your hands in worship. You know how hard that was when I did it for the first time? That's like the hardest thing in my walk with Christ was raising my hands for the first time. Well, we're going to, like a teacher, gently teach people, here's how you worship God. Here's how you hear His voice. Here's how you be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Here's how you walk through life with a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. Here's how you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's how you get the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life. Here's how the gifts of the Spirit operate. Hallelujah. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Church, we're going to do it. And then the last thing, really important. How do I have a mission in life to serve? You say, well, pastor, we voted you in and we pay you to do that. No, how many know that all through the Bible, God is a sending God? In fact, in the very first book, he says, I'm going to send the Messiah. He's always sending. In fact, he's always sending them. In the the Scriptures, he sends them two by two. He says, go in my name, I'm sending you. Okay, the church, five different times, it's called the Great Commission. He says, I'm sending you into all the world to preach the gospel to every living creature on the face of the earth. Hallelujah. Amen. And then the church in the book of Acts sent people out in the name of Christ five different times. Everywhere through the Bible, it's send, 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 
sin. And everybody in this room, we're going to sit down and make sure everybody is serving. Everybody is serving. You say, I don't want to serve. Then it's not the gospel that we're preaching here. The gospel that we're preaching, everybody serves. Why? Because we're humble and we appreciate what Christ did for me. Well, I'm not working for you, Chad. I don't want you to look good and I don't want your church to grow and I don't even like you. Well, you don't have to like me. But you have to love Him. Hallelujah. You have to love Him. I don't even like myself sometimes. Amen. Say it, Kevin. We have to love Him. It's about Him. It's not about me. It's not about me looking good. It's not about me being successful. It's about me living my life to the very end. It's about all of you waking up in the morning and being passionate about being used by God and serving and preaching the gospel. Hallelujah. We're going to train people in this room to preach the gospel. We're going to go out and we're going to send them out full of the Holy Spirit. And everybody's going to serve from day one. Hallelujah. So church, this is what I need. You say, well, man, can I come up front and, and have a 20-minute a, a prayer? And In fact, worship team, come on up. This isn't one of those where you get hands laid on you and we're done and you go home. This is one that I need you guys to plug in. I need you guys to say this is the gospel and we want to give it in its purest form to Henderson and Evansville. We want them to drink it in and know they've got the real thing. The real thing. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Amen. Church, I want you to examine your hearts. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, today's the day. I'm here. I'll lead you to the Lord in front here. I'll lead you to the Lord after everybody leaves. However you want to do it, I'm here to lead you to the Lord. But I want you to examine your heart and just tell yourself, Sunday between 3 to 7, do you want to be a part of this journey? Do you want to pour in, dig in? I don't care who you are. All of you have gifts that you have to give to this church. And we're going to do this together. We can't do it alone. I mean, no, I can't do it alone. We can do it together, though. Hallelujah. Let's worship the Lord and let's start examining our hearts. Sunday, July 11th, 3 to 7. share something uh, all week in prayer the Lord has been speaking to me that we need to uh, stop going through the motions, we need to stop talking about church, we need to stop talking about the gospel, we need to learn how to live it out, we need how to share it learn how to share it and, uh, I didn't know why he kept telling me that over and over until Pastor Chad got up and preached the same thing Everything God was telling me this week, He spoken to us this morning. And it's not by coincidence that He's speaking it to both of us. We have to do it. We have to live it out. It is a time period right now that people need us to live the gospel out. It needs to be real. It needs to be shared. It doesn't need to just be, yeah, I go to this church. Or, hey, you wouldn't believe what's happening at my church. That's not a gospel. That's a bragging. 
the gospel is about Jesus Christ. Everything we should do is about Jesus Christ. The way we live should be about Jesus Christ. And our relationship should be about Jesus Christ. And uh, I hope we, I hope we receive that. And uh, that's a word straight from the Lord. We'll give it back to Pastor Ted. Praise the Lord. Bible says that uh, to whom much is given, much is expected. And uh, His favor has been poured upon us. And we didn't deserve it, but He did. He's poured out His grace, His mercy, His love. And so to much is given, much is expected. And church, now is the time God has called us. And uh, I want to tell you, we were, uh, I think the Lord made this happen. It was a divine appointment, and I've told some of the people in here. But when I was driving away from the church the other day, going up Delaware, and how many remember this week when the rain just, heavens opened and... I mean, just out of nowhere, rain was so hard, like as hard as it can possibly rain, I think. And it happened right as I was pulling up Delaware toward Fulton Avenue. And there's a liquor store there, and there's a gas station there. And and I see an open umbrella start blowing down Delaware. And I thought, man, that's unusual. I look about 50 feet ahead. And there's about a 20-year-old girl who looked like she had a really hard life. She looked like she had had some drug problems. And she's laying in the middle of the street and just crying. She's on her knees and she's got a shopping cart and it's flipped over. And all of her belongings are inside of that shopping cart. And her dad is two blocks away yelling at her. Saying she's worthless, she deserves it. Uh, and just calling her every name in the book. And so I jump out of my truck and run over, put the umbrella over her head. And it was too heavy for her to pick that card up and put it on the ground and put it back on the sidewalk. I don't know how it flipped over, but the rain just caught her off guard and it was pouring. Everything she owned was soaking wet. She had nowhere to stay. Her dad kicked her out of the house. And she was just crying. And over and over she kept saying, I do deserve this. I do deserve this. And she was yelling at her dad, but you're my dad. You're my dad. And church, have you ever had that moment where you felt like, I wish this was my daughter? And I'm telling you, those people are all over around us. They're all over this neighborhood where we're going. They're all around this building. And God is sending us out. And I couldn't be more pleased. Just a announcement to my leadership groups. We have been training and preparing for this. And so I I will be shutting down my Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday until after we open the church. I need to get the church open. But I want everybody to funnel into that Sunday, 3 to 7, if we're able to. All my leadership groups, staff, elders, as many as are able to it would and want to do it. Don't do it, just don't force yourself to do it. But if you want to be used by God, 
we're going to funnel all my leadership groups into that Sunday. We'll pick it back up after we open the church, okay? I just can't do four nights a week and still get everything open the way the Lord wants me to. So uh, just know that. But, uh, like I said, let's be praying about this. It's going to be a big deal. That girl, to me, will always stay in my mind because I'm praying for her. And I know she's in my heart, and I just tell you what the Lord's doing with me. I just hear those cries. I just can't get them out of my mind because there are kids in there that don't have moms and dads. There are kids in there that are saying, I don't, I deserve this, I deserve it, I deserve this. And, and, and you know what? She needs to feel the love of God poured upon her life. And I, I'll never forget her crying in that street. And I'm so thankful that God brought that into my life. Because I want to see her again. How many, how many want to see that girl? Right down the road from our church. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, we want to be used by you. We want to be faithful, Lord. You trust us with the gospel. We want it to be pure, Lord God. Effective. Durable. Lord, we want it to be your gospel, Lord God. We want to deliver it to a world that is hurting and hungry and in need of it, Lord. Help us, change us, transform us, build us, Lord, make us, Lord. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done in this church and in us. It's all because of you, Lord, not because of us. Thank you, Lord. In the name we pray.